grave robber, seducer, church burner, pardoned by the king of France twice, and all this from a bisexual woman in the late 1600s. My God, what a trailblazer. Y'all listening to Old Tiny Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your host, Christy and Scott. Blazer. <laughs> I was hoping somebody would catch that. <laughs> I had to. Hey, it's Old Tiny Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And what are our rays of light this week, guys? Amber, go. Okay, so it's not necessarily a ray of light, but it was like the funny thing that happened. So you guys are aware I have two toddlers, and uh, one of them got a hold of my teenager's candle made of coconut oil, right? And so she decided the best thing to do with this candle was to color her hair red. So she took all of the wax, all of the wax, and rubbed it thoroughly into her hair. Because wow. she wanted red hair like mommy. And, which is kind of cute. But also, oil doesn't come out of hair very well. <laughs> no, it does not. So I've already washed her forehead probably five times. And it's still just disgusting. Like, it's so gross. <laughs> like, I love her so much, bless her heart. But, oh, it's disgusting. Like, <laughs> Is it like the wax and the oil in there? Yeah, like, it's it's... The candles are like organic and they're made with like coconut oil being like the base ingredient. Okay. And um, so it, it feels very nice and it actually doubles as lotion. You can use like the hot wax as like a hand lotion. Okay. And it's it's lovely, but it's not good for hair coloring. All right. So here's what you do. You ready for this? Ready. Hot towels, hot, warm, wet towels but put them over top of paper towels so that it kind of melts the melts the coconut oil and it gets absorbed into the paper towels. Oh, okay. So kind of like if you would spill wax on your carpet where you'd take an iron and put the paper towel down and iron over it and it would lift the wax. Right, but we don't want to iron your child's head. I mean, or, I'll do it. Or maybe we do. I don't know. <laughs> I'll just make her lay down and like put her head on an ironing board and then just iron her hair. You know what? I bet a heating pad would work too. Maybe. Generally, you're supposed to avoid putting them on bare skin. I mean, they don't get some of them. Some of them get really hot, and some of them don't. I know that mine is variable. Sometimes it's like, "Ow, it's scorching me," and sometimes it's like, "Is this thing on?" Well, maybe so that'll I... teach her to put coconut oil in her hair. <laughs> so, as, as somebody that grew up with with a gay brother, um, this was in the '90s, before hair straightening was really a thing. He would actually put his hair down and use an iron to iron his hair straight because it was, like, long at the time. So, like, I know it's possible to literally iron hair. I'm, yeah, they did that in the 70s. That was how they flat ironed, basically. I'm going to, like, I'm going to edit this out. But there's got to be a joke in there someplace about straightening the hair of a gay man and just hoping that it <laughs> takes hold for the rest of it. Well, and at, <laughs> at the time, he was still pretending to be straight oh so i mean you could really just wrap that up together um fair enough but he he, he was ahead of his time <laughs> <laughs> scott you want to see a ray of light oh my my ray of light um 
I'm trying to stay away from certain subjects. <laughs> Wink. I guess my big ray of light is there was this uh, there was this uh, there's this uh, company called Shapeways, and what Shapeways is is people throw up their 3D designs, and then they can uh, you can print out if you don't have a 3D printer at home, you can print out using Shapeways, and they'll mail it to you. But the prices on Shapeways have gotten ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. Plus, there's this one guy on there who who made some stuff that I really like the stuff that he made, but I don't like him. So I don't want to give him my money. So, that makes sense. yeah, yeah. So what I've done and he's stolen designs from other people, too, and just kind of like made his own version of their design. Uh, really kind of sneaky, underhanded thing to do. So uh, what I'm what I did was I've uh, I've taught myself to use a program called Tinkercad. I've uh, recreated one of his uh, designs that is my favorite, and I am printing it right now for free. And <laughs> as soon as I get it perfected and everything just perfect, I'm going to put it up on Thingiverse for free so that he loses money. Good. Nice. <laughs> okay, so yeah. I'm not gonna lie to you. When you first started talking, I thought you said shake weights, and Same. I just had this mental image of you getting two of them and practicing like your double banger. Oh. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that'll come up. <laughs> well, it ain't gonna go down after my shake weight practice. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Christy? What's your ray of light? Uh, my husband. Just, you guys both know and love Jackson, and uh, I sometimes tell him, I'm like, I'm pretty sure our friends love you more than me, but that's okay because it's deserved. No, uh, no, no, no. Just... I picture, like, it's not just Jackson or Christy. Right now, you are one entity. You are No, you are. Craxon. Okay, so any, any other time we have a, a group of friends that is a couple, there is usually a conversation that happens about if they break up, which one are we picking? Like, which one are we going to keep? And I can honestly tell you, Christy, I have never had that conversation about you and Jackson. Mm -mm. Because you wouldn't be able to choose. <laughs> it, no, it, just, it doesn't even cross my mind that you are Good going effort. to divorce. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. That's, that's like when I got married, there was a pot of money on how quickly we would divorce. Well, there and are still people that don't think your marriage was real. And yeah, that's... No, there's still a lot of people that don't think I'm actually married, too. So that's there's that kind of my but... fault. <laughs> <laughs> but like, Christy, I have never had that conversation about you and Jackson. Like, I don't think any one of our friends has because it's kind of like you're just like you're, you're just a, a, a thing like forever. You can't ever divorce. You're not allowed. We're inextricable. Yes. So, yeah, it's just, he's just been, he's he's so chill. And that really helps because it, it levels me down a little bit because I, I tend to be unchill. Uh, it's just a natural product of being a little bit high strung and having anxiety. You know? And so. like, I can even picture his face right now with like his little smile of, oh, my wife is proud of me. Like, <laughs> he gets the cutest face when you talk about him. Aww. <laughs> He does. He has like a special Christy likes me smile, and it's it's just amazing. Yeah, so I, it's, it's the big smile. It goes to the eyes. He looks at the floor for a second and then back up. <laughs> Aww. So so we all know this. There's there's a Christy likes me smile that Jackson has, and it's adorable. It is. It absolutely <laughs> is. No two ways about it. I definitely need to watch out for that. Uh, someone whose smile seemed to uh, really bring in. <laughs> Everybody. Everybody. Her milkshake brought the boys and the girls to the yard. And she, 
Some she liked and some she just fucking kill. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Julie Dobony. She was also known as La Maupin in, uh, in her career that she had later. Now, she was born, most sources said 1670. There are one or two that said 1673. I go with the 1670 because it already seems pretty impossible for her to have done all, all the stuff that she does. <laughs> <laughs> and you know when she gets to age 20 or so 17 is like holy crap yeah, like this this bitch is my new hero i'm not even gonna lie <laughs> so she's insane and wonderful and just awesome like awesome in her badassery like <laughs> so a little show note is that it was amber's week to pick because we rotate and i had had this on the list but i hadn't thought about her, this this particular woman in a little while and it just came up when i was doing some other research this week and i was like oh amber needs to know about this woman so it was like just a suggestion maybe so <laughs> like now i feel like i need to burn down a convent just for fun <laughs> this, that was essentially how i talked her into it <laughs> i feel like if this one was reincarnated she was reincarnated as amber that could yep. be yeah i'm with that you could be. <laughs> so she was the daughter of gaston d'aubony he was the secretary be prepared for lots of french pronunciations that may or may not be correct uh the comte d'armagnac he was the grand squire, and thus his job was basically to train, the count was, all of King Louis XIV's pages and horses. That was a big part of uh, Gaston d'Aubigny's job as well. Uh, Julie d'Aubigny, she started at the Tuileries, uh, at, but at age 12, she was moved with the court to Versailles. Now, that sounds like it would be super, super elegant and everything, but she actually grew up in the great stables there, which is still super elegant. I mean, the great stables are still a far sight better than, like, I don't know, my house. <laughs> this horse has a spa. <laughs> right? They're gigantic and ornate and, and, and an architectural gem it's yeah it's absolutely beautiful so her dad a lot of my uh quotes i'm going to be giving some quotes here from uh cameron rogers gallant ladies because it was just it was the way that he wrote some things just absolutely killed me discussing uh gaston d'aubigny he said by all accounts he was the devil of the fellow who feared neither god nor man nor devil and who from dawn to eve drank and diced and fought and from eve to dawn achieved further fracturing of the decalogue i had to look that up that's the ten commandments Ooh. <laughs> yeah it's i just love his i love the way he puts things and he throws subtle shades sometimes and kind of some euphemisms and throws things out there it's really really good so uh, the now, Decalogue. I like that. The Decalogue. The Decalogue. Yeah, it's much better than Ten Commandments. It sounds yeah. much more like like forceful and written in stone. I probably wouldn't have broken so many of them if that would have been told, told it was the Decalogue. No, I probably right? would have broken more. Yeah, you would have. You, you're now at what, it's just a challenge. You're at what, 12? It's... I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about it in case there's any law enforcement officials <laughs> listening in. <laughs> <laughs> Gaston d'Aubigny, he raised his daughter Julie the same way that he educated pages. He taught her fencing himself. He was he was very much of the thought that you could not take 10 steps in the streets of Paris without getting into a fencing match, so you better know how to use your foil. 
he got her an education really not the norm for a girl in this time she learned grammar dancing writing drawing but also anytime any interesting guys came sniffing around he tended to scare them off probably with said fencing foil that that's so, that's where she learned love from <laughs> that's if a man's yeah, not right? willing if a man's not willing to take the life of your father he's not worth having <laughs> <laughs> Well, she didn't quite know that yet, so she was like, who can I bang that my father can't do anything about it? Who, who's the one man that my father can't scare? Oh, um, his boss, the Count, Comte d'Ognac. Uh, and so she starts hooking up with him uh, around age 14 or 15. Yikes. I forgot to look up how old he was, actually. If you don't mind, I'm kind of curious about the age difference. He was definitely not 14 or 15, for sure. Definitely not. (laughs) I hope he was, like, 17. It'd be hilarious, and he's the boss already. But I love it, because she hits 14, and she's like, well, I've already learned how to fence and stuff, so now I want to fuck somebody. Uh, That sounds about right. Dad's boss looks uh, pretty silver foxy over there mm-hmm. <laughs> you know all right it. so it looks like it would have been louis of lorraine and he was born in 1641 so he was a good 29 years her senior at least yeah that's not even may december that's like late march yeah it's horrible what a disgusting thing it's like the age difference between my mother and father well wait <laughs> Was that 29 years? 1918 and 1947. 29 years exact. But was your mother 14? No, but her... Therein lies the difference. (laughs) But her boyfriend had just died three weeks previously, and it was my dad's best friend. Whoa, don't think I knew that detail. Yeah, he was crushed by a car. He was working (gasps) on it and fell on him. And so out of respect for... Good respect for my dad's good friend, uh, John... Uh, he waited a whole three weeks to to mack on his girlfriend. Oh my gosh! Wow. <laughs> well, I have I have so many like questions. Like, was your dad there when the car fell on him? Just in case you like kicked out a jack or something? No, but it gets a lot worse. I don't know if I should get into this part. My mother's boyfriend was her third cousin. Whoa. I mean, that's legal. Yeah, it is. I but know. Gross. It was very gross. Thank God. Thank God. Thank the car, God that car fell on thank him. Thank God the car <laughs> fell on him. And my dad, who is in no way related to my mother, uh, went in there. And thank God I'm his son. So. Okay. Well, I, I don't want to know this about your mom and dad. But do you think that, that uh, Julie called her dad's boss daddy? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sorry. She would call him Papa. Ah. Papa. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Papa. Oh, papa. Oh, that's gross. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, couldn't even get it. I couldn't even get it out of my mouth. Wouldn't mind Papa. Exactly. Uh, Julie's father died. We don't have an exact date for that. And the Count got her married off to Monsieur Maupin. He was a clerk. This was when she was age 16. Uh, and the, again, from Rogers whose occupation it was to lend respectability to the nocturnal absences of his girl wife from his own snug home. (laughs) This guy just, I love it. I love it. Jesus. Uh, 
and she and the count did keep up their affair for about a year or so before he said okay this that's that's enough of this we're for whatever reason he he said no more i just found well, out i'm I a pedophile i can't do this one of my sources one of my sources says that the count married her off and then the next day sent her husband away to collect taxes so that he could continue his affair Oh yeah, I'm not sure when that happened. Whether it was the next day or like some say a year after, it was really unclear. So yeah, it could have been like basically marry her off again for the respectability and and to kind of keep wagging tongues from wagging is, is a possibility. And there were also some people who said that uh, it was it was her influence that she said, you know, yeah, my husband's starting to get a little pissy about this about me being gone literally every night. So could you maybe send him away, shoo shoo, or even. Some people say it was some of his, like his, as in Monsieur Montan's friends, who, who were trying to just get him a better job, essentially, because he went off to the provinces as a tax collector. Mm-hmm. Or it could have, if it was a year or so after when he was ending the relationship, it could have been his attempt to get her far away, which uh, did not work. <laughs> because... Either way, most of what I read about her husband, this guy is kind of a pansy. And and not going to be able to stand up to his wife, who is uh, king shit of fuck mountain, for yeah. lack of a better term. Like she's just excuse awesome. me, queen shit of fuck mountain. Nah, she can be king. Hi, yeah. queen. <laughs> and her father, her father would uh, what didn't actually set up the best example for her. I uh, during the day he would just practice fencing nonstop. Uh, he'd hit up the gambling dens, the bars, and the brothels in the evening. Yeah, he was basically setting her up for a life very much like his own, and the apple did not fall far from the tree there. And she, when when the Count sent her husband away, she said, well, you know, his income is not going to take care of both of us, so I just better stay here, and then proceeded to just go wild around the town. And fo- followed in her father's footsteps, her days were filled with fencing at the fencing halls, hitting shopkeepers at the shops, and fighting with the young nobility in wherever the hell they hung out, which was, you know, probably drawing rooms and fancy places. <laughs> <laughs> so her next affair began at the fencing hall with one Saron. He was from the south of France. He was, it was uncertain whether he was a fencing master, he was just a dude who loved a fence or whatever. He did teach her some sword work, but, you know, it, it, and it did say from Rogers, whose stalwart person and vigorous sword play much pleased her. Ooh. Do I like this guy? I like this guy. <laughs> but she she pretty much blew right past him in terms of, of her abilities. She was very, very adept. She had a talent for this. And she really, really liked him, but he was in some hot water. Uh, There was a duel he had been involved in that had killed a man, and the uh, lieutenant general of police in Paris, who was basically the founder of the first modern police force, Nicolas Gabriel de la he was hot on Saran's tail, so Saran's like, look, okay, I've got some money and some property down in Marseille. Uh, I can... I can go down there and live off of that and you can come with me. And so they go down to Marseille and sure enough, it was all kind of a lie. So um, now a quick side story. I did look up, uh, I was curious because there were laws against dueling 
Uh, it had been outlawed in 1626 by King Louis XIII, but really it kept going. It was such a big thing with the nobility that they basically brushed off the law and continued to, you know, to shay the crap out of each other. Uh, between 1685 and 1716, there were 10,000 duels between French officers and over 400 deaths. Well, if there were, were 10,000 duels, there should have been 10,000 deaths. These people I'm sure the suck. recording was really good during that time, you know? People suck. I'm sure there were more that just, like, you know, they just left him there and there were no witnesses, so somebody just thought it was a random stabbing or something. These French, uh, but they I, give up all the damn time, I know. <laughs> and that's not true. The French resistance was pretty damn good during the I'm allowed to say this. I have French ancestry. Let me have this. I mean, if you look at the history, but okay, I'll let you have it. <laughs> so, uh, but the side story really is that in looking up the dueling laws, I found a story about a duel between two women. Uh, in 1721, they were fighting over the Duc de Richelieu, and they were sisters-in-law. Now, this guy was the this guy of court. Every woman was after him, and he he just he was getting it daily and nightly. I have a buddy and like that. God, such, a, <laughs> such an awesome guy. He's actually the guy who wants to uh, wants to read your stuff, Christy. Xavier's mm. Xavier's a fucking pimp. He uh, he once flexed on Mark Zuckerberg. Wow. Yeah, he was hitting on Mark Zuckerberg's wife, uh, and then whenever Mark Zuckerberg kind of showed his face, he pretended he didn't know who he was. That's something to put on your damn resume. Go, Xavier. <laughs> So this was uh, Madame de Polignac and the Marquise de Nesle. And uh, I don't know if she was related to the cookies or not, uh, but or the, the, the chocolate chips, the milk, whatever. I don't know. Um, and they were sisters-in-law. And the Duke de Richelieu probably shouldn't have had his secretary pencil in a bang session with each of them in the same day, because they definitely did not react well to that. Uh, they challenged each other. The Marquise got a slight wound, and she stated that surely the Duke would choose her now, seeing that she would shed blood for him, and he liked Madame de Polignac better. So that is kind of a fun little story of the sh the, the shit that nobility was getting up to. In the... And this is why you never fight over a man. <laughs> right? It, it never ends mm -hmm. well, for apparently for Madame de Polignac. So they find themselves, um, Julie Dauboni and her lover, Saron, in Marseille, and they need to find an income stream. And she, being the resourceful lass that she is, she finds two. Keep in mind, she's 18, and she's out there doing this. So she, she's like, well, I have two talents. I can, I can sing. I'm not trained, but I can sing. And I can sword fight. So they would put on shows at any inns that put them up and basically pay for their keep, probably get a little bit besides. Uh, there's some singing and then a, a sword fight demonstration that would really draw in the crowds, especially since she started at this point dressing as a man. A, a lot of times, a lot of times, like they would have, a, they would have people who wouldn't believe that this was a woman. There was an incident where a drunken onlooker probably proclaimed that, nah, that's a dude. I know it. No woman can fence like that. And Julie looked at him and went, rip, look at these. And everybody went, they are fucking perfect. Look yep. at them tits. She offered him two points of contention. Mm -hmm. 
nice. Very nice. And everybody just went, God bless France. It was just... <laughs> And that the that is what has been said. More than one person has said she had the most perfect breasts in the world. Yeah, well, she yeah. also had dark auburn hair and piercing blue eyes. Mm. She was a looker. She was a babe and a badass, and I would have fucked her too. <laughs> so I'm sure she would have been on board. Uh, now there are questions as to whether she was actually cross-dressing you know because she wanted to whether she was trying to pass as a man in order to you know survive in society and, and get those like extra privileges that men she had probably just like pants yeah i can't, can't and vagina skirts are only good in the summer that's when skirts are good because no. you get that nice airflow and everything but you know any other time of the year they're bullshit no, no I the mean the only time I wear skirts is if I'm if I'm trying to get laid. I'm not gonna lie to you. The only time you will see me in a skirt is if I'm trying to, to have a quickie somewhere horribly inappropriate. I didn't need to know Noted. that. I did <laughs> not need to holy shit, Amber, I didn't need to know that. <laughs> Just saying, man. Otherwise, pants. There's also the possibility that she was just doing it to, uh, you know, uh, evade the law. You know, they were after her lover and she was a fairly recognizable figure even then. So, you know, if she dressed as a man, fewer people might, you know, tattle on her. Also easier to run in pants. Yep. Yep. You are correct. Especially, especially compared to the big giant skirts, you know, and the of corsets. that time. Do you know how hard it would be to run in a fucking corset? You can't draw full breath. <laughs> she would have passed out a block away. Like, <laughs> yeah. She was just she, sensible, in my opinion. Yes. She gets into this new music academy in Marseille, and she's singing under her maiden name, actually. For a while, they make their money that way. Then she decides she wants to try something new. And that something new is the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vagina. She's like, you know what would be great? Pussy. And would love a cute blonde to set off my coloring, you know, like an accessory. So she starts up an affair with a young lady who was the daughter of a merchant. This is found out. Scandal erupts. The young lady is shipped off to a convent in Avignon. And La Maupin, who it should be noted at this point is 20, follows and even joins the convent and so the two realize their relationship is sinful they take vows of chastity they live in nunnish companionship for the rest of their oh no wait she uh waits until one of the nuns dies digs up the body puts it in her lover's bed and sets the room on fire <laughs> the way you do exactly. i love her <laughs> you do love i her. just picture her like like digging up the body putting it gently in the bed, setting that fucker on fire, and just proudly proclaiming, where's your God now? Okay, yes. so, so I actually have in my notes, and I just want to share this because I think I'm hilarious, uh, that she joined the convent to go after her girlfriend to continue to get her licks in. <laughs> oh, God. No, nah, no, nah, this woman was definitely a strap-on lady. I don't know. I don't know. Well, maybe a fister. She could have been a fister. Yeah. Definitely. So the two of them run off together. <laughs> <laughs> no one can find them for three months. And then Julie Daubigny abandons the young lady. The lady returns home and is promptly shuffled back off to a convent, I'm sure. And <laughs> now this has been a crime. 
Uh, there has been kidnapping. There's been arson. There's been body snatching. And so they bring her up on charges, but she isn't there because she's on the lam. So they try an empty chair and also add failure to appear onto the list. <laughs> it's interesting. They use how they address her or refer to her in the charges is Sieur de Dobonny and Sieur, which, you know, in the, the, the French way of throwing way too many vowels into a word is S-I-E-U-R. It's old French for gentleman. Uh, so in the old French, they were throwing even more unnecessary vowels in. Well, because they tried her as a man, aside from how she was dressing, because she kidnapped a woman. And it, like, was unheard of for women to do these things. So they're like, no, just try her as a man. It's fine. And, yeah, they, they wanted to hide the scandal, too. You know, like, this is, you know, she's been kind of had relations with some of our higher up members of society. So let's just pretend it's not her and it's him, you know? Yeah. And, well, and then qu quite ironically, they sentenced her to death by fire. I know, right? <laughs> Which I love. <laughs> Eye for an eye, I guess. A fire for a fire. You burned up God. Now you burn. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, because of this, Marseille is getting a little too hot for her. <laughs> <laughs> so she tries to head for Paris, but she has a, a difficult time getting there. She ends up in Orléans first, and she's singing for her supper all along the way. And she even does some composing. She says, you know, I wrote a few a few lines and a few melodies and you know I'm, I'm just i'm just trying to to make this interesting and make it my own she goes to poitiers she meets a musician named marachal uh he is is quite the teacher and he says i'm gonna make you the best singer in paris but he's also quite the drunk and was really deteriorating and was having a serious uh detrimental effect on his teaching ability uh, so basically, it was like I've taught you where I can. So just go to go to Paris, sing, sing on stage, you know. <laughs> uh, she continues singing in taverns and inns on her way. She gets to Via Purdue. She is singing at an inn. Now, there's two different versions of this story. This is version one. There's some squires in the audience. They figure out she's a woman and they get smart with her. Quote, tell me, oh, pretty bird, I've listened to your chirping, but now tell me of your plumage. So that was a thing. And soon enough, a deal. Nope. Soon enough, a duel is in the cards and she takes on three squires at once. Okay. Go ahead, Amber. You take this one. <laughs> Well, you knew she could take three. <laughs> now, the whole, the whole, uh, I, I like this. This isn't my quote. I, I'm, I'm uh, quoting from Rejected Princesses. The, I've listened to your chirping, but now tell me of your plumage is the 17th century version of does the carpet match the drapes? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So she takes on the three squares and she kicks their asses and even runs through the main offender in the shoulder with the foil coming out several inches out his back enough that he can turn, look, and see the bloody tip. <laughs> and the, next, the next day, she feels pretty bad about it. So she finds the village barber, who is also the local surgeon, because I guess if you can do one thing with scissors, you can do anything with them. Why not? 
And he says, well, you know, it's your lucky day because the guy survived and his name is Louis-Joseph Delbert Dulaine. He is a Duke's son. And so she finds him and she, you know, gives her sort of apologies. They start up hot and heavy. She nurses him back to health. As Rogers says, quote, convalescence was a long one, but rendered ineffable by mutual delights, end quote. Oh, I bet it was effable. Oh, I've seen pornos like this where the guy's like on his motorcycle and he like wrecks and he's like all bandaged up and like the naughty nurse comes in and then. Uh, yeah, pretty okay. much like she she like walked in. She's like, I'm real sorry. Um, Let me ride you. I'll be back in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be in his bunk. So uh, the other version of the story is that the, it was just the bar one night there was the duke's son there and he was being kind of drunken and wouldn't stop talking about his horse she was getting annoyed she went to leave there was a little bit of drunken aggressiveness and he didn't know that she was a woman too she ran him through uh but after that there was some respect on both sides uh and he just fell absolutely head over heels for her and he said no one else can nurse me only you can nurse me oh you you won't nurse me all right that's fine i'll just rip off all my bandages until you agree and so she was like all right fine god <laughs> and that's then a, they fell that's a ballsy move on his part i i don't think it was so much that she that she kind of like fell for him but it was like oh like all of a sudden it's like dude's willing to bleed out for me okay i'll give this one a chance yeah. It might be. Like, I feel like she's the type of woman that might get a little turned on by the blood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Things kind of got a little mixed up there as far as her uh, psychology was concerned and her development. Like, she's the type of person that cuts you when you're fucking. Like, yeah. that's just... <laughs> uh, that wound kind of looks like a vagina. I guess I could be into it. Jesus. <laughs> so she's... Keep in mind, she is 20 still. This all happened. I mean, she was 20 back when the convent burned. And if we take the later year of birth that was thrown out a couple of times, she's 17. I know. I love her. <laughs> and uh, Delbert is 18. Now, these two would be lovers and friends for life. This was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Ass whipping to lovers to friends. There's nothing more French than that. It's it's just, you know, it's it's that it's the old story. Everybody knows it. I'm gonna I'm just gonna start walking around and stabbing people and see if they fall in love with me. I think Marcus, yes. you should start with Marcus. <laughs> I actually I threatened to stab him at our wedding. So I mean there's that. Wait a minute, you were wearing a dress at your wedding. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> those were those noises when i went into the bathroom to pee um, you know i actually i tried to wear jeans and a tuxedo shirt for the wedding but that got shut down by uh pretty much everybody yeah i, I think i was proud of pretty much everybody yeah <laughs> so julie she wants to go to paris but there's still that death sentence from the covent convent no there's still that death sentence from the convent incident so she goes to rouen which i've never been sure whether i'm pronouncing that even remotely right uh she meets this other singer and of course he falls in love with her his name is gabriel vincent tevenard and they head off to paris together now 
Paris is kind of not a great place to be if you're well-known and you have a death sentence over your head and you love to just do, like, crazy shenanigans all the time. So she needed a friend in high places, or even better, a former lover in high places. Oh, hi there, Comte d'Ormiac. Nice to see you again. Do you remember these? <laughs> I believe you called them the most perfect breasts in the world. If you if you look it up here in the French Almanac, it's been verified by 15 experts. <laughs> yes, they have grown since I was 15. Oh, I'm sad now. Aww. Now I feel dirty. <laughs> I have my period now. I feel terrible. Yeah, oh my God. Jesus. So within three days... Of this little reunion, the king has revoked the death sentence, pardon number one. And it's said that he actually found her various antics, you know, all the the cross-dressing and the convent burning and all that stuff, rather amusing. He was like... It's charming. It's charming. Well, he had... The king had a brother who was gay. So it was an interesting time in history where there was still, like, the, the public view of homosexuality was not favorable for most people, but very little legally was done about it because the king would have to kind of go against his own brother. Aha, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Interesting note, Scott. She finally, after all this time, I mean, a year, maybe... <laughs> of having this dream of going into the opera goes into the opera. Now, some sources said that her her friend, Tevenard, the one that that she met on her way to Paris, that he basically put in a good word for her. Honestly, I hate that because this woman, I don't feel like there's anything she couldn't do on her own. I agree with that. I agree with that. And I actually, I saw that she was an extraordinarily diverse singer she could sing soprano the highest and concha alto which is the lowest so she had that whole range that she could hit being mostly untrained yeah yeah she really wasn't formally trained in any way and at this point opera hadn't been around for a super long time i think it was about 100 years it had been around but still you know you you need to have some raw talent that has been shaped into something worthy of recognition and that will, you know, like please people. And she had it. And she was also vers- that, that, that versatility that you mentioned, Amber, was, was probably very helpful. <laughs> the opera stars were basically the rock stars of the day. And she had all of the rock star qualities with having everybody know her name and think she was a badass with the sex and the drugs and the, as Christy said, the arias. And and so, like, she already was a rock star just without the singing, and then she had all that natural raw talent to back her up. Well, thank yeah, God she, she a... calmed down after all this, too. No, she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, she didn't. Yeah, she had all the trappings. She just needed the title, and I do like to think that she got it herself without any help from Tevanard. So sorry, Tevanard. No so, credit to you. No credit. You get none. Into the opera she goes. Her stage debut is as Athena in 1690, and she's still 20. I know. 20. She's done more in her, her young life than most people have. When they hit 90. Yeah. <laughs> 
she would go on to play goddesses, queens, warrior women. Now, there is some discussion. Uh, sometimes they say that she played pants roles or trouser roles. But my understanding of that is it's a confusion of the fact that the, the phrasing, whenever they would discuss her playing warrior women, is that she would, you know, trade in her crown for a helmet, essentially. And the assumption thereof, oh, well, if she has a helmet, she must have pants because warriors can only be men, right? 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 Xena. Oh, wait, no? <laughs> Xena. Yes, exactly. Athena. Hello. <laughs> mm-hmm. So... Yeah, there, uh, it, it really seems to be mostly goddesses, queens, and warrior women, which she definitely, I mean, she definitely was playing roles she was, her personality was suited to. And so she started going under, kind of her stage name was her husband's name. Uh, husband? Wait, what? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> She's still married to that pushover that's running around collecting taxes. Yeah. <laughs> so she starts going by La Mopin probably what I'm going to refer to her from now on, although I, I might try to do Julie Avonni just because it, it's less confusing, but I kept on referring to her in my notes as La Montpin, so just as, as a note. I can't say any of that stuff, so I'm just saying this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this amazing bitch. This amazing bitch. Yes, that is what I'm going to refer to her as. There we go. She had lots of affairs, usually with other leading ladies. Uh, supposedly, uh, one of them, Mademoiselle Moreau, who was also the mistress to the Grand Dauphin, so essentially the, the prince, uh, if I understand my French royalty terms correctly, uh, which about 50-50 there, uh, she rebuffed uh, our uh, this amazing bitch. And <laughs> poor uh, Julie Dolbony, she attempted suicide after this particular uh, rejection. Now, she loved men, she loved women. What she apparently did not love was free time because she started a side hustle as a professional duelist. Why not? Why not? She probably just missed stabbing things. Yeah, probably. That's what I'm going with. She missed stabbing things. I haven't stabbed anything in like a day. Man, I gotta get back out there. I just picture like wandering around the house with her sword in her hand like, uh watermelon Uh, it's just not the same if it doesn't scream (laughs) this episode is brought to you by best fiends now we love researching old-timey crimes but even we need a break sometimes especially nowadays so when we need a palate cleanser for the brain, we fire up Best Fiends. So what levels are you guys on? I am on level 1,214. Nice, Scott. Oh, I'm only on 220. I win! I'm on 1349 in the remote ridges, and I'm on a level that I'm kind of stuck on, but I just know I'm going to beat it. <laughs> So in Best Fiends, you collect tons of cute characters and you need to use them strategically for each level. You need to pick and choose, you know, which character has which tool and asset that you think would be best for this level. And it's really fun to use that that strategy part of your brain. Oh, they're so cute. I just want to cuddle them. <laughs> oh, I know. Like, have you seen Blue Terry the spider? He's adorable. I He's got a 
I haven't he's seen a, the spider yet. So I have him at level 21, and he's um, he's got a top hat and a cane and these big red bushy eyebrows, which are hilarious. They update the game monthly with new levels and events. It never gets old. Uh, they treat the game like a service for their players. They are invested. Uh, engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. She also used her dueling skills occasionally for the purposes of revenge and to pull people down a peg. There was this dude, this dude. Are we talking Duvenil? Duvenil, yes. Oh, I love Duvenil. (laughs) I love this story. I love what happened to Duvenil. Let me put it that way. I love what happened to Duvenil. I don't don't love him. I've got no love lost there. But this badass bitch. (laughs) I love the lines he gave. I love the line she gave. Amber, you have to deliver no, the go line. Ahead. You, you go ahead, honey. No. No. Do you know right, well, the line? I'll get there. I'll get to that okay. point, and then one of you will deliver the line. In the meantime, you guys flip a coin in separate locations, whatever. <laughs> I've got a cat. So he says, don't flip the cat. Amber, don't flip your children. They're upstairs. They're safe. So he is a tenor. He's this egotistical dude who thinks he's hot shit. He's basically going around. Everybody's, I guess, hanging around in the opera house. And he's insulting her lovers. He's insulting her friends. And then finally he gets to her. He tries coming on to her. And when she refuses, he basically gives her the 17th century version of, well, you're just an ugly slut anyhow. I didn't want to sleep with you. So she says no. And then she says, it does not end here. <laughs> yes. So she gets into her usual menswear getup that night. After singing at the opera, of course, because the girl just did not like to sleep. And she confronts him in the street. He refuses to duel her. And so she paddled him with her cane 50 times. <laughs> And stole a snuff box and watch for good measure. She, yeah, and, and she had a whole plan with that, too. She, one, one story I read said that she paddled him, started walking away, then kind of like had a light bulb moment where she was like, ah, wait, okay, turns around and demands a snuff box and, and watch. I'm not sure if it actually happened exactly like that, but I like that idea where she was like, wait a second, and she well, started thinking of the next day. Either way, it was a good thing she did, because the next day he was like, I got beat up by a gang of thieves. And she was like, no, you're a liar and a pussy. And like threw his stuff down like, ha ha. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. I love her. Technically, love her. She, she does equal one gang of thieves. She really does. Now, she would also, you know, she wasn't just using the men's dress thing to confront jerkwads in the street. She would also go to balls and seduce ladies that way. And it would cause her some trouble, as you might imagine, especially when she got particularly forward, one might say. She came to a ball dressed as a cavalier and seduced a lady in the middle of the dance floor. Everybody was watching all night as, you know, they they, they 
flirted and they touched and they giggled and everything. And eventually she just starts straight out making out with the girl on the dance floor. I love her so much. I know. Great. Now, there were three suitors of this young lady that were watching this whole thing. And the moment the, you know, lips touched, they were like, ah, wait a second here. That's the wrong thought process, suitors. Now, here's the correct thought process. If old Scott would have been standing there, this is exactly what would have went through my mind. If I play my cards right, I can get a threesome out of this. There you go. They were not thinking that way, apparently. Well, the damn fools. Right? They came in, and of course, there was a duel challenge. She said, at your service, messieurs. (laughs) (laughs) Which I guess was just the way that you said it. It's very very debonair and elegant. Um, And of course, she kicked their asses. There are varying descriptions of this particular event, some of them quite detailed, which the the more detailed things get with older descriptions, the more I have reason to to believe that things have been added and, and inflated over the centuries, just because more detailed descriptions, especially firsthand, don't really survive. But in one description, it was uh, night, and she basically waited each time the, the clouds would pull away from the moon, she would stab one. <laughs> A man, <laughs> not a cloud or the moon. Either way. Just thought I should clarify. She could probably stab the moon. I, I, I believe in her. If anybody could, it would be her. Exactly. Oh, my God. What a so, babe. I know, right? Yeah. I'm like I have in my notes that it, uh, in some stories of this, she actually killed these three. And it entertained King Louis so much that he pardoned her again. Yeah. And it yeah. was a thing where, like... There were a lot of anti-dueling laws at the time. They were becoming increasingly severe all the way from, eh, whatever, to the end of the uh, end of the King Louis XIV's reign, whereas I, I've gone with the head. But the king looked and he said, eh, that's, uh, that's a law for men. Doesn't say anything about women. Yeah, I love that. I love that he was basically like, allow me to find a loophole in my own law. <laughs> well, and, and the whole thing is that that party was thrown by either the king or the king's brother, who is fabulous mm-hmm. so either way the king's already right there and he's like no those fuckers deserved it this is cool like <laughs> somebody want to take care of care of the uh, pile of dead bodies on the on the front lawn please thank you <laughs> and the king basically knew her like after this the duel happened and she returned he he confronted her and he said you are the jade la Montpin. so he he knew of her which is pretty big and he said i have heard of your handiwork that's pretty impressive to, to have, you know, the Sun King know who the crap you are. So still, even though she gets the part in, she heads to Brussels. She heads to Brussels. I think she needs to cool down a bit or she needs to just get, you know, a, a change of scenery or whatever. She starts up another thing there with the Elector of Bavaria, Maximilian Emmanuel, who, from Rogers, again, my good buddy, Quote, a florid Don Juan of uncounted gallantries with women of all classes from duchesses to kitchen maids. Ooh. How bawdry. Bawdry, yes. I I think you just combined body and tawdry. I did. And I like it. (laughs) Maybe, how about this? How ribald. Mm. Yes. Tales of ribaldry. 
And she, this may have been uh, from the timelines we have probably around 1697, 1698. So she's in her, her mid-20s. He does send her packing eventually. And while all this drama with him is going on, she's still, she's in the opera in Brussels. She's playing Dido. And there's a scene where the queen stabs herself. So this amazing bitch goes full prima donna and actually does it. Oops. Real dagger stabs herself yeah. on stage. And so uh, the the Elector of Bavaria, he offers her husband, or her, it's unclear, 40,000 francs, and she basically tosses the money in his face or the face of whatever messenger he had delivered. It's unclear, but she basically said, no, 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 no. This is a cuckold's money or something like that. She also kicked him down the stairs in some some reports. Mm. wouldn't be surprised i would not either i like to think that's the way she treated everybody like you know like little girls oh miss julie i'm such a fan it's like oh don't you the precious off you go and just kicks the little girl down the stairs <laughs> <laughs> she heads out of brussels and stops off in spain but she doesn't really like it there so she she wants to continue with her opera career there, but she can't do any of the dances that are popular in Spain. So she ends up kind of, you know, being demoted to, uh, she ends up being a lady's maid to a countess and they do not get along. Finally, she manages to put away enough money to go back to Paris. But before she does, she pulls a little prank on the countess. And I think this shows her little ingenious playfulness here. So she's preparing the countess's hair before a big ball. And she gets a half dozen radishes and she arranges them in the back and puts, you know, like feathers and stuff in the front. But there's, there's just random, like there's just radishes in like a circle in the back of her head. The countess gets to the party and people are just following her all over the place. They're surrounding her. They're talking, you know, they're whispering. And she is just... She thinks they're checking her out because of her amazing fashion and beauty and everything until somebody's like, you got radishes in the back of your head. Just just want to <laughs> tell you. Oh, and you got some green stuff in your teeth too, you know? Um, so the Countess returns home in an absolute fury and our wonderful La Montpin, that amazing bitch, is gone. Toodles, fuckers. <laughs> exactly. I fucking love her. She goes... <laughs> Back to Paris. Uh, it does say in some sources that around this time she gets back to uh, back together with his husband. Back together with her husband. He's been in the provinces all this time. She gets him back to Paris, and they stay together until his death in 1701. Uh, but it's unclear whether or not that happened. But it does seem, you know, kind of, you know, possibly. She gets to be for real prima donna in the opera. All told, over her 15-year career, she played 29 parts, some of them written especially for her by some of the best composers of that time. This was my favorite story from this particular... Nah, I don't know. I, I can't pick a favorite story with her, even from one small time period, because then I was like, but the radishes! My favorite so... story would be from the time she was born... Until she died. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, that is my favorite story. I'm with you. I'm with you. So remember our good friend, uh, Tevanard? He is Primo Beso now. Uh, I guess probably the highest man in the opera. 
uh, while she's the highest woman in the opera. So they would both be playing leading parts, which, you know, have to play around each other and seduce each other and fight with each other and talk with each other. And so they would torment each other on stage. She would be singing and she'd be getting in close to his ear, you know, as if she was singing directly to him. And then she would bite his ear hard enough to draw blood. <laughs> in return, he would pinch her discreetly, but hard. They did make up, but her requirement for them making up was he had to beg her forgiveness on his knees. <laughs> <laughs> and then you recall uh, Dalbert, the Count's Duke's, uh, some nobleman's son. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, he, you know, her friend and lover for life. Uh, she sees him whenever he's around, but is hugely jealous of his other affairs. He was at one point seeing the Duchess of Luxembourg and this, this woman was kneeling in prayer one day when Julie Daubonny comes in, kneels next to her and says, just kind of offhand, like you would say, what's for lunch? She said, I will cut your throat if he goes to your bedchamber again. Damn. Yeah. I now, love her. I only had <laughs> one source that said this, but it's, it's almost too good to be true and almost kind of too sad to be true. Um, that Dalbert went on to marry the former mistress of the Elector of Bavaria, which was her former lover. So kind of a weird love quadrangle there. Square, I guess mm. is what they call that. I'm not well versed in love geometry. But you know what? <laughs> they, they The two men certainly had the same type. So I, I don't think that's too far of a stretch that uh, the one that got away from both of them, then they shared another lover after her. Like, yeah, they obviously sense. like the same kind of crazy. Yeah, you're right. Good point. Mm -hmm. She gives up on men entirely at this point. Once Dalbert is married, she's like, you know what? I'm done with the Laudia. She takes up with Madame la Marquise de Florensac, Raja. Nope, sorry. <laughs> Madame la Marquise de Florensac. And according to Rogers, she was, and I love this description for a woman, very beautiful, witty, and elegantly vicious. Ooh. <laughs> I just love elegant, it, 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 very beautiful. Okay, that's great. Witty, fantastic, elegantly vicious. Like, I picture this woman as, I, you probably neither of you are going to get this reference, but a very young, uh, the, the, the dowager from uh, Downton Abbey. Some I... of you out there will get that. I'm picturing whenever I think elegantly vicious, I'm thinking Natalie Dormer. And that's the thing that I saw pictures when I tried to look her up that somebody assumed, saw Natalie Dormer like in, in a gown and fencing and assumed that maybe they were making a movie out of Julie Daubonnier's life and Natalie Dormer was playing her. And I was like, all my dreams, this is everything to me. I want this so bad and I can't find anything that makes it clear that it's happening little uh little side note uh if you like natalie dormer may i suggest the amazon prime series picnic at hanging rock it is fucking creepy and fantastic writing it down because i love natalie dormer well i was a big fan of picnic at hanging rock i loved the book i loved the old movie from the 1970s and this new tv series really does it justice awesome i'm gonna take a look at that 
So this uh, Madame la Marquise de Florensac, she dies in 1705 of puerperal fever, which is childbirth fever, a bacterial infection after childbirth. If you listened to our old tiny, there's another connection there where we briefly discussed that that was a thing that happened where the doctors would do autopsies in the morning and baby deliveries in the afternoon and not wash their hands in between. And so a lot of women were dying because of that. Hey, that's I mean, a good hint for now. Because of that, but that's a good hint for nowadays. Wash your fucking hands. <laughs> wash your hands all the time. Yes, especially after handing infected dead bodies. Mm -hmm. She did quit the opera after this lover died. It seemed to be that the, the, she didn't have the spark for it anymore. Now, some sources say that after that, she entered a convent. I don't believe it. Bullshit. I don't believe that either. You do, you do not steal the body of a nun, put it in a bed, burn the convent down, and then 10 years later go back to a convent. You don't do it. I... Yeah, it doesn't seem likely to me. Roger said she died two years after entering the convent, which she had written to Delbert and said, you know, I'm thinking about joining this convent. And when she didn't get a, a no back, she was like, all right, I'm doing it. Um, he said when she died, she was, quote, destroyed by an inclination to do evil in the sight of her God and a fixed intention not to. And I'm like, well, that's not a medical diagnosis. I love you, Rogers, but I can't go that far. <laughs> yeah, it's it seems that all the all the tales where she goes back to the convent, they're just there to go, look, see, God still loved her. We can all we can all get back on the right path, even even Julie D'Aubigny. No, what is generally agreed upon is that she spent the final years of her life reunited with her husband and lived fairly peacefully, which I don't believe that for a second either. Yeah, I think she managed to just kind of stay off the radar of history for a little while. But yeah, I agree that the convent stories are probably from, from stories that are trying to make her a morality tale. You know, no mm -hmm. matter how far off the path to God you get, you can come back. And no, this was a woman that had a fire in her heart to just be an absolute wonderful lunatic and do whatever the hell she wants and raise hell and have fun with life. And I think that in whatever way, it might have been in a quieter way after she had, you know, her heart broken by her, her final lover that we know of passing away. But I still think that she would have continued in one way or the other. She was off somewhere putting radishes in somebody's hair. <laughs> God bless her for it. God bless her I, for it. I'm going to say that one more time. <laughs> God bless her for it. The woman just like sitting there making salads for her husband, carving the cucumbers to look like penises. I know she did that. <laughs> yes. So she died in 1707 at the age of 37, having been a prima donna in the opera, having been on the lam after burning down a convent to elope. Hang on. Yes, to elope with her girlfriend, having injured or killed up to ten men in duels and revolutionized the French opera scene and a million other things, a million, you know, so many like men's and women's lives that she touched, having impressed the king himself with her antics. I bet she touched a lot of men and women. I bet she did. Yeah. In and I fucking love her. Internally. <laughs> this is called a prostate massage. <laughs> <laughs> See, Amber makes it subtext and Scott makes it text. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 
So I think that 37, honestly, like most times you see somebody dying at that age and it, it, it is sad, but this woman lived five lifetimes. It, 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 just in the year that she was 20. <laughs> My God. Imagine the children her and Teddy Roosevelt could have had. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they would have carried a big stick indeed. I, I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this. It used to be that if I could go back in history and bang anyone I wanted, I was thinking, oh, you know what? Marilyn Monroe. That would be fun. No. Tonight, my mind has changed. I'm going back and getting Julie. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that is all I have. There haven't been there hasn't been much media in the modern age about her. There's been, you know, an opera, a play, a movie that really stretched the bounds of the story to the point that you could barely recognize it at least from the summary on uh, IMDb. She never used a lightsaber. <laughs> So, so yeah, there, there hasn't been nearly as much, I think. I, this is such a story. And Natalie Dormer, if you're listening, um, you're, like, tailor-made for this role, and you need to do this if you haven't already. If, if you have, then um, that, that shit needs to be on IMDb so I can find it and watch it. She's in the, uh, I don't know if you guys were fans of the old TV series, Penny Dreadful. Um, she's in the new uh, new season of Penny Dreadful. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I, was, oh, yeah. I was meaning to kind of take a look at that, so now I have another reason to. This is this new season of Penny Dreadful is completely different from the older one. The older one you would like, you would like a lot. I've only seen the one episode of the new season. I'm not certain what I feel, how I feel about it right now. But the older one, it was essentially uh, take uh, take the father of Lucy Westerna. Uh, Lucy's best friend, who was demon-possessed, Dr. Jekyll, Victor Frankenstein, and the monster, and mash them all up into a ball and turn Billy Piper into the Bride of Frankenstein. And oh, my God. Seriously? It was, it was good. The guy that played Frankenstein's monster was in fucking credible. And he's also, in the new season, playing a different character. It's almost American Horror Story-esque that they're using you know, similar actors. They're not using every actor over. Um, but yeah, it was absolutely incredible. This new season takes, uh, takes place in Los Angeles in the 1930s and is kind of more, more Dia de los Muertos uh, focused than Victorian uh, horror focused. Interesting. I'm gonna have yeah. to take a look at that. Very good series. Very, very good series. So that is all I have on Julie Dormonnier, La Maupin, that, this amazing bitch. Do you guys have anything else? Mm-mm. Mm. Anything I missed? Mm-mm. Nope, Mm-mm. just awe and wonderment. Yeah, I know. I'm so glad I remembered her and brought that up to you because I was like, oh, God, Amber needs to know about this woman. She will, she will change her life. And You had me we- at burning down a nunnery. I know, right? I was like, the, I was trying to think. I, I thought that maybe the tone of my message might have come across as like, oh, don't you know this? But it was more like I was trying to pick through all the different things about her, like, you know, bisexual opera singer, sword fighter. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. She burned down a comment. That's the thing that'll get Amber. See, I'm, I'm kind of looking. I'm kind of looking at her, uh, her portrait right now and her fencing outfit going, what wondrous secrets does that bosom hold? 
Yes, yes. I'm sure many, many, many that are not a part of the public records about her. Oh. I think I think one of the favorite things I saw was sword slinger, opera singer, and larger than life bisexual celebrity of the 17th century France. <laughs> That's fantastic. That absolutely does sum it up. <laughs> Except you need to add the, the convent burning in there. Um, I know they missed one of the most important parts, but at the same time, like it was so taboo at mm-hmm. the time and she was like this is who i am fuck you like <laughs> yeah she was who she was and she was unapologetic about it and i think that we can all take a lesson from that now granted we don't say like oh hey here's a criminal on old timey crimey we can all take a lesson from that no i'm not saying you should burn down any convents it goes without saying that amber is <laughs> I'm, I'm pro grave robbery i've said it before i'll say it again <laughs> But the essence of her in that she was unapologetic and she refused to apologize for who she was in a society that was determined to hide that, even when some of the higher ups like the king were like, yeah, you get a pass from me. There were the others who sentenced her to die by fire. But she was just like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm me. That's it. And 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 I'm not going to apologize for it. And I think that is the lesson that we should take away from Julie Daubonnier is that, you know, she... She, it, it, it's hard sometimes not to apologize for yourself, especially to as a woman. We're, we're kind of ingrained to apologize a lot. We're like Canadians in that respect. Um, it's a strange comparison, but there it is. Boy, I wonder how much Canadian women apologize. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, so, I said I'm we, sorry that way. Yeah, right? So yeah, it's just... It, it, work on improving yourself yeah and that the parts of yourself that want to you know like really like wreak havoc and, and do things that are against the law maybe you know suppress those a little bit but the parts of yourself that are brilliant and that are different from what society expects or wants don't apologize you have nothing to apologize for oh <laughs> uh, you got apologize. any yeah <laughs> <laughs> like that her, the phrase i don't apologize is as close as you're gonna get to an apology from amber that's that's all there is to it yeah. You guys got any big plans this week? Um, um, I'm getting my car back tonight, and I'm super excited. Nice. Yay. It's been in the shop since Easter, so I'm just geeked that I have my own wheels. So um, I've been driving Marcus's car, and when I grocery shop, I can't use his car because his trunk is full of beer cases, most of them empty, but some of them with beer. And so there's literally not even room for one bag of groceries. Oh, my God. And so I look like a weird fucking homeless person when I go grocery shopping for five people just piling it up in the back seat of the car. So I am very happy to have my nice, clean vehicle back. Um, I am, we've been occasionally, my family has been, we're all scattered to the winds in different places. And occasionally we've been getting together for a a video call. And this week I managed to get a hold of my dad on the phone and he tried to come to the last call, but he arrived after we had all left, which we were on the call for two hours after I sent out the initial message. So (laughs) at that time, but this time we're going to schedule it in advance. So I'm actually going to like see my whole family, uh, which is, is so rare with them always being, you know, like my dad's, uh, you know, in, in one in Florida, my, my brother's up, other siblings are north in the state. You know, it's just I never see them. Uh, so, yeah, we're all going to going to chat on, on Sunday. And I think that'll be that'll be really fun to catch up. Nice. Nice. What about, about you? you? Uh, if I do a family chat, it's going to involve a Ouija board. 
<laughs> what are your plans? Oh, my plans. Uh, honestly, I'm just busy taking care of Wilford. Uh, my cat Wilford uh, has hit some psychological issues. Um, the uh, at first they thought it was some sort of skin infection, but it turned out to be depression because he lost his brother a couple of weeks ago. And mm-hmm. but we're starting to get the fur growing back. He was chewing the fur out of the back of himself, and. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a little rough getting him back on track, but we're getting there. He's he's beside me right now. <laughs> well, hi Wilford. Feel, hope you're feeling better soon. Oh, I know you're wearing headphones and he can't hear me, but whatever. <laughs> he's a cat, I'm assuming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have good hearing. Yeah. So, well, I hope he he is uh he continues to do better. So that is our show for the week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Don't forget, if you've been enjoying this, and we know you have, we just talked about a lady that burned down a convent for her girlfriend. Come on, don't tell me you didn't enjoy that. Using a dead body (laughs) as kindling. Right? (laughs) And a decoy. Yeah. So go over and rate us on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whichever. Uh, Give us that five-star rating and give us a little review you know, just tell us how awesome Julie Dolboni is and or whatever you want to say. doesn't really matter. Um, so, you know, I mean, you can give us praise. We won't say no, but I don't think Apple is really looking beyond swear words. So and uh, also don't forget to check out our social media where we have lots of content going on. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter as old timey crimey. So come find us and see what we've got going on there. And don't forget to listen to the old tinies every week. A little nice uh, snack size crime discussion for you where we each one of us, you know, tells a story to the other two and the other two have no idea what's going on. And it's so fun. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, that's about it for this week. And uh, we will see you later. I did finger guns. You can't see me, but I did finger guns. Bye. 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 <laughs> My sources for this week are Jason Porth of Rejected Princesses, and I actually have that uh, that book myself. It's excellent. Jim Burroughs, Eldecur.com. Jerry Walton, Unique Histories from the 18th and 19th Centuries. Wikipedia, of course. Jade Cuddle on Culture Trip. Cameron Rogers, Gallant Ladies. Alan Westby uh, at the Los Angeles Public Library. And that's it. My sources for this week are the ever-popular Wikipedia, RejectedPrincesses.com, uh, from the YouTube channel Extra Credits, uh, their video Julie D'Abeni, Duelist Singer Radical, from their Extra History uh, videos, and the YouTube channel of Geffen Playhouse, with five French facts. Um, I also have RejectedPrincesses.com, because that was just an amazing article. I have Kali... KellyGardner.com, BadassOfTheWeek.com, and Fascinate.com, an article by Kyle Climans. Mm-hmm.